Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Well, six-year-old George was given a sharp new hatchet. And when he went into the back field behind his house, he saw a beautiful little young cherry tree. And so as a six-year-old boy with a sharp new hatchet, he decided that he was going to chop down that cherry tree. His father found him the next day and asked him, do you know who killed the beautiful little cherry tree? And he said, I cannot tell a lie, Pa. I cut down your cherry tree. Who is that George? Do you know who that George is? That's right. No, George Washington, the first president. And so the biography of George Washington uh, from 1809 says this. His father cried back to him, run into my arms, dear George. I am glad you killed the tree. For you have paid me for it 1,000-fold for telling the truth. Well, that story, I don't know if it's true or not. There's a debate in our society on that one. History says that's probably not a true story, but maybe. Who knows? But the, the point of the story is to show the value of telling the truth. And in 1809, our culture so valued telling the truth that they venerated the very first president as one who was a person who spoke the truth from even at the youngest of age of age six. Unfortunately, our society has dramatically changed, has it not? Our society does not value, our culture does not value truth anymore. Lying now is a a means to be able to get what I want, and therefore not only politics, but even businesses and even in marriages, people lie to get something, manipulate, deceive. In our society, truth now is whatever I want it to be, whatever I feel is true is what is truth, or this phrase is a very popular one, live your truth as if you can invent Truth, you can invent reality just by thinking it to be so or just feeling it to be real. That's how our world views truth. But no matter how our society views truth, God is the one who defines truth because he is the only true God. Isaiah 65, 16 says, Yahweh, the God of truth. He is the God of truth. That's who he is. He is the I am. That means he exists. He just is, has always been, always will be. He is reality. He has created our reality. He sustains our reality. Really, truth, definition of truth, is that which corresponds to the reality from God's perspective. Truth is that which corresponds to the reality from God's perspective.
perspective. And so God is true and everything God does is in truth. Everything God speaks is true. God cannot lie. That's why the scripture says that he is the true God. The sum of your word is truth. Psalm 119.60. That's why we believe that God's word right here, the Bible, is 100% without error because it's God's word and he cannot speak a lie. Truth has come to us in the scripture and truth came to us in the person and the work and yes, the word of Jesus Christ. And so that's why in John 1.17, the apostle writes, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals to us who God really is, and Jesus reveals to us the only true way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Yesterday, I had a conversation with a gentleman who was Catholic, and I asked him, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? And he said, well, I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm religious, although he wasn't a very good Catholic. But that was his view. And I shared with him this verse right here. There's actually only one way to God, and it's through Christ. It's not by your works. It's not by your own good religious deeds. It's by confessing I'm a sinner. That's the truth. Confessing I deserve judgment. That's the truth. Confessing that Jesus is the only Savior and Lord, and I can only be saved when I call upon him in faith. And so, the Bible says that we believe the truth of the word. This is what we learned in Ephesians, that the Ephesian believers, they heard the word of truth, that's the word of God, the gospel of your salvation, and they believed. And so therefore, we believe the truth of Christ, we walk in the truth, we, we live, we love the truth, and as a result, we should be characterized as people who speak the truth. That's what our text says this morning. Our text is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. And really, this is the first application of what it looks like to be a new believer in Jesus Christ. And notice the first application is that we put away falsehood and we are people who speak the truth. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 6 where we're to fight against Satan and the flesh by putting on Christ, putting on his armor? And that very first piece of armor is what? It's the belt of truth. Truth holds everything together. So what we see as this, this primary, prominent attribute that we are to live out, that is truth, truthfulness. So notice Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. The scripture says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so the word therefore in verse 25 points us back 
to verses 20 through 24. Remember, verses 20 through 24 teach us how God transforms you to be like Christ, and it's through the gospel. Verse 20 through 24 is about our conversion and really the miracle of regeneration and union with Christ. And so verse 20 through 24 speaks of the beginning of that salvation for us in our in our lives. And then verse 25 to 32 talk about the application. In other words, what does transformation look like on a daily basis? You can think of it this way. Verse 20 through 24 are like the roots of the tree of your life. And verses 25 through 32 is like the fruit of the tree of your life. Or another analogy, verses 20 through 24 is like the birth of the new you. And verses 25 to 32 is the growth of the new you. And the point here is that what he's teaching us in verse 25 and onward is how we are to walk like Christ. What is the rhythm of Christ's likeness? Do you remember what we learned a couple weeks ago? What's the rhythm of Christ's likeness? Well, you're putting off the old ways. You're putting on Christ's likeness and you're doing it by the renewing of your mind. So look at verse 25. You can see that. Therefore, having put away falsehoods, you're putting off. Let each each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. You're putting on. And then notice why. Here's the truth that renews your mind. For we are members one of another. So the outline is pretty simple this morning. First of all, it's be renewed with the truth. Put off falsehood and put on speaking the truth. And here's the big idea, I think, of this text this morning. Is that because you are a member of the body of Christ, you must put off lying and speak the truth. Put off lying and speak the truth. And let me start by overemphasizing this idea that we must have our minds renewed with the idea that we are members of one another. I mean, to look back in verse 23, because I don't want to miss this as we go through these verses, Ephesians 4, 23 says that we are being renewed in the spirit of our minds. And, And so what we're seeing here in verse 25 and onward, these are not just commands to obey. Here's the list of things that good Christians do. Now, verse 25 and onward are, here are commands that can only be lived out if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. These commands can only be lived out if God's word, if you're so meditating on God's word that you love his word, you love God, you're trusting in him, and therefore he's changing how you think and therefore changing how you live. So what I want to do this morning is probably not what a typical sermon would look like for verse 25. I don't really want to focus as much on falsehood and truthfulness as much as I want to focus on the reason why we should speak the truth, that we are members one of another. Because if you can catch that right there, if you can catch that last part of verse 25, then verse, the beginning of the verse, the put off and put on will follow. So what is the truth that renews our minds to put off falsehood and speak the truth? Well, you are a member of the body of Christ. Look at the end of verse 25, where it says, for, here's the reason why we should speak the truth, we are members of one another. So here's the question, what does that mean? Well, we're 
what it means is that we are members of Christ's body. And so we have the universal body of Christ, right? That's the body of Christ throughout time, throughout history. But there's also these visible bodies of Christ, the visible body of Christ, and that is manifested in local churches, local New Testament church bodies. So here we are, Lighthouse Bible Church. Christ is the head of our church, and we are a a local visible body of Christ in Simi Valley. And so the idea of being even like when we say, hey, we're announcing church members, one of the reasons we use that word member is because it's a picture of that we have different functions. The Holy Spirit has gifted us as an important and actually dependent part of this church. Like we depend on each other. We need one another. And so we are members one of another. We're members of the body of Christ, which means this, is that means that you need each other. That's what it means. When you see we are members of the body of Christ, what you should see is just this flashing neon sign that says, you cannot live your spiritual life on your own. Like you are spiritually dependent on other people. I mean, think about a body. Think about an arm. If you saw an arm on the side of a road, you know, like by itself, what would you think? Well, probably call the police. Okay, that's a good idea. But you, you would think... Either we got to find that person's body pretty quickly or we, you know, call the police and they're going to bury it somewhere because you know that that arm won't survive unless it's attached to the body, right? And you cannot spiritually survive unless you're attached to a local church. God intended you to spiritually thrive attached to a local church body. And we haven't taught on this because we didn't go through the book of Ephesians, but if you were to look back, look back at Ephesians 1, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16, and if we were to teach through that, we would teach about what it means that we are to be the body of Christ. What does the body of Christ look like in a local church? In fact, look in verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11, because this is very important to understand if we're going to understand verse 25. Because in verse 11, he says that God has given the church apostles and prophets. And so there's a sense where we are ministered to by the apostles and prophets as we read and study God's word. God has also given to the church the evangelists and shepherd teachers that really should be combined. Shepherd teachers, pastor teachers. And of course, we have those in our church here. And the idea of that is those are gifts to the church to do verse 12. What does verse 12 say? Look at verse 12. The scripture says to equip. So their role is to equip the saints, that's you and I, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the pastor teacher's role is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? It's helping each other grow in Christ. In other words, it's your job to help other people grow to be more like Jesus. And it's our job as pastor teachers and other teachers in this, in this church to equip you to be better ministers of the gospel. Does that make sense? And how do you do that? Like, so how do you minister to other people in that way? Well, look at verse 15. This is how you are to do that. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? It's you speaking the truth. And of course, you're doing it in love. And we are to grow up in every way into him 
who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So in verse 25, when you see we are members of one another. That's what Paul is wanting you to think back to, that you are a member of this local church. You are a member of the body of Christ, and you need other believers. In fact, even more so, you need to minister to other believers. So how does this connect to telling the truth? Well, when you lie to one another, when you mislead, and when you misrepresent, when you mis direct people, you are actually lying to Christ. Well, you say, well, how's that? Because we're the body of Christ. Remember when Paul the apostle was on the road and he, Jesus said to him that you are persecuting me? Well, Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Yeah, he was. He was persecuting the church and the church is his body. So when you lie to other people, when you live in such a way that misrepresents the truth about your life, you're actually lying to Jesus. And, and he also with that, when you lie to one another, you're harming the body of Christ. The body of Christ can only truly function when we as members of his body are being honest with one another. So we need truth to be able to function in a way that honors the Lord, glorifies the Lord, but also ministers to one another. I think that when many Christians in America read that phrase, we are members of one another, they just kind of gloss right over it. It's like water on a duck's back, it just rolls right off. Does it mean anything to them? And you know why I think that is? my personal opinion, I think it's because most Americans, most Christian Americans, most Americans in Christianity, in America, whatever, I think most of them view the church as just something I do on 10.30 on Sunday morning. It's something to check off. It's just, it's kind of an addition. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a you know, just a, another piece of my life. It's not really that essential. Like, do I really need that in my life. In other words, I don't think most American Christians actually depend upon one another to be able to grow spiritually. We believe that we can live for Christ without the church. Let me just ask you that question. Do you think you could live for Christ without a local body like this? I'm not saying Lighthouse. It could be another church. But do you think you could live for Christ? If you believe that, can I just tell you, you're believing a lie. It's like believing an arm can survive without a body. That's what the scripture is teaching us here. I mean, think about this verse. This is a verse, if you think that way, this is a verse to meditate on this week. Maybe meditate, it, meditate on it each day. Memorize it. Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called a day. In other words, this isn't just for Sunday morning at 10.30. You need this throughout your entire week. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We are like a body. Each of you are an essential part of this body. So let's do this. Could you just look around? Look around and realize this. You need each other. We, we need each other. Let's just say that. Let's say we need each other. Look around and say, we need each other. Let, let's try it one more time. Ready? Let's look around and say that. Ready? We need each other. 
And that's not just a cute thing for a pastor to say. It's actually the reality. It's the truth. So think about how does this, we are members of one another, relate to speaking the truth? Well, relationships that are genuine, relationships that are helpful, are relationships that are honest with each other. I mean, think about the imagery of a body. Think about it this way. My, my eyes need to tell the truth to my hands so my hands can function properly, right? If I have double vision and I'm going to pick something up, if my eyes are telling me something's right here when it's over here, it's not going to help my hands. In other words, if my eyes aren't being honest with my hands, it actually doesn't allow my body to function properly. So, so that's kind of the analogy here he's saying. He's like, you're members of one another. That means there must be honesty. There must be truth. So because you're a member of the body of Christ, you must put off line and you must speak truth to one another. And that, that word, your neighbor, our neighbors, are, are speaking of the local church. That's the context here. So this does not mean that you can lie to unbelievers and you have to tell the truth to believers. That's not what he's saying. What Paul is teaching is truth must characterize your closest relationships. Truth must characterize your closest relationships. And Paul's assuming that you are finding your closest spiritual relationships within the church. And therefore, if you have honest relationships with those you're closest to, what's true on the inside is going to be true on the outside. And I think one of the most important applications of this text of scripture right here is for you and I to view ourselves as an essential member of this church. And that we need each other to connect and grow. If you really believe that, if you really believe that you need other people and they need you, then actually it would lead you to the place where you say, I gotta be honest with people. Like I gotta stop pretending, right? I think that's probably one of the saddest things that I experienced when I did a lot of counseling in South Carolina is that people played church. And they wanted to come to church and have, you know, dress up and pretend they're all these perfect people. And, and then we'd sit in a counseling session, we'd talk about some things going on in their life, and like, I just don't want anybody knowing what's going on in my life. I'm not going to announce it from the pulpit. Don't you, don't you think you should share? Like, some struggles you're having? Maybe you should have an accountability partner? I mean, should, there should be some level of transparency we have in our life. This idea that we come to a church like this and we all pretend to be these happy, perfect people, like that's not church, right? That's like a cult. <laughs> we actually need to have a level of transparency and vulnerability that is appropriate. This is not talking about just dumping the sewage of your life on everybody or talking about how bad your wife is, you know, to someone else so you can, you know, have someone pray for you. It's not talking about that, Okay. It's, it's talking about the fact that you spiritually depend on other believers. Like you're saying, I, I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. And there's different areas, different settings, appropriate settings in which you should ask for prayer and should be open. Let me give you some suggestions. We, I, I hope and I pray that you are in a home group or you will at some point be in a home group. But if you are in a home group, let me encourage you in this. When you 
get done with the Sunday morning sermon and you meditate on it and you're going to think about going to that home group and discussing it, maybe think about for yourself, what is one application in your life that you can share with that group? Not just let them observe, I, I, I learned this in the passage, but actually like, okay, you know what? I realize that sometimes I struggle with telling the truth in this area of my life. Or, you know, I need to memorize God's word. So one of the applications, home group, is I uh, this week have decided that I'm going to try to memorize a, word, a verse every week. Would you guys help me, like, keep me accountable to that? So next home group, ask me if I've been memorizing my verses, you know? Does that make sense? Like, you're actually coming and saying, like, this is something I, that's real in my life. Or how about this? Tonight we have a Sunday evening gathering, and Joel Penrod is going to be preaching for us. Before that, we have about 15 minutes of testimony. So before you come tonight, think about, okay, what is, what is something God is teaching me that I can share? Not just, you know, hey, I got a new dog. Praise God, you know. But it's actually like, hey, I learned this, and God is using this in my life. Does that make sense? It's like, it's real life. We're getting beyond the sports update. We're getting beyond my granny has a broken toe. We'll pray for my granny. But like, this is what's really going on in my life. This is what God's really doing. I think this means for us men, we, we need to be sitting down with each other. I mean, one-on-one, and again, getting beyond, like, how's your work going? How's the employment happening? But actually, like, what is Jesus doing in your life? And women as well. I think this also means if you're spiritually drowning right now, if you're like, I just don't know how I can make it for another week, please go talk to someone, pray with someone in the church. Like, let's get help. And so this is, Verse 25 is teaching us because you're a member of the body of Christ, you got to put off lying. You need to put on speaking the truth. So let's talk about what it means to put off lying. Look at verse 25. He says, having put away falsehood, it's like this decisive decision that you made when you came to Christ. I'm no longer going to live under the lie of Satan. I'm no longer going to be a one who, who believes or tells the lies of this world. The word falsehood is the word pseudo, which means it's like pseudoscience, pseudo news. It's like, it's fake news. It's fake science, right? It's, it's that which is false. This is how the world operates. The world operates in lies. Adam and Eve, they believed the lies of Satan. And from that moment on, each person born into this world follows their father, the devil. That's what Jesus said. He says, you tell lies, it's because you're of your father, the devil. That's what he told the Pharisees. They said, oh, we're of Abraham, you know, so therefore we're good with God. He says, no, actually, you're of your father, the devil. Well, how do you know that? Well, the devil tells lies because he's a liar. Then you tell lies, he's saying to the Pharisees, because you're liars. But we are Christians. We've been rescued by the one Jesus is the truth. We've been rescued by the truth. Therefore, we must never mimic our, our old slave master, lying Lucifer. So let's consider what, what's the nature of a lie. Well, the most effective lie contains a little bit of truth, does it not? If you really want to tell a really good lie, which I guess is a oxymoron, if you want to tell a good lie, you're going to tell mostly truth, but just misrepresent the truth or put a little lie in there that leads you astray. The motive of lies is self-preservation, right? It's about protecting myself. It's about making myself look better, keep, 
preventing me from experiencing consequences. There's a story of a little boy who was going to school, and his mom and dad told the teacher that this little boy has a problem with lying. And so the teacher, I'm not the funny part yet here. Uh, the teacher one day asked his, uh, this little boy um, if he did his homework. And the little boy said, uh, well, I, I uh, wasn't able to do it. Last night, my dad and I went fishing, and we were out in a boat, and a big sea monster came, and he attacked our boat, and my dad and I fought him off. We killed him, and then, then we caught a 17-pound bass afterwards, and you know, we brought that home. We had to fix it up for my mom. By the time I got done, I was tired. I went to bed, and I couldn't do my homework. The teacher said, oh, that's, that's really sad. Well, last night, would you believe, I saw a bear, a 20-foot bear. This little dog came out and ate the entire bear. Would you believe that? And the little boy said, yes, that dog is my dog Spot. He ate three bears last week. Right? So, so you have a little boy who's telling lies, right? And obviously it's ridiculous, but he's doing it to benefit himself, to try to protect himself from consequences how might falsehood be manifested in our lives? Well, I have a couple just to think through. First of all, obviously, there's the bold-faced lie. Someone says, hey, I called you. And you say, oh, really? I never got your message. But you did. Or someone texts you and says, hey, I missed you at this or that. And you text back, oh, I wasn't feeling good, so I couldn't come. But really, you just wanted to watch a movie and lay on the couch. Right? It's, it's the opposite of what is actually true. You mislead someone with something that is not true. Or there's the lies of omission. That is, you withhold the full truth. This happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Right? They, they sold their piece of property. They're going to give it to support the gospel. So it's like, we sold this property. We made $500,000. I don't know how much it was worth, but $500,000. And church, we're going to give the proceeds to the gospel work of the church. Yay! The problem is they were only going to give half of the proceeds. So, so they admitted a very important point that actually misled the church to believe they were giving the whole thing. And therefore, this is what Peter said. Peter, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And God viewed their lie as so damaging to the church that both Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in front of the whole church. And God was sending a signal, and that is when we peddle lies within the church, it hurts the church. Truth are like the gears in the engine of the, of the church. And if you clog up the gears with lies, the church is spiritually broken. There are lies that hide the truth from those who have the right to know. David committed adultery against Bathsheba, with Bathsheba. David tried to hide it by putting Uriah the Hittite on the front lines, and he tried to hide it from those who had the right to know. And of course, Nathan the prophet called him out for it, and then he confessed his sin in Psalm 51, and he says, God, you desire truth on the inward parts. In other words, David was hiding something that someone else, the other people, had the right to know. I'm going to say this, children, your parents have the right to know about that thing or those things that you're hiding from them. Like, truthfulness is telling them the reality of what's going on. 
There's the lies that shift blame. Saul disobeyed God, and he said, oh, God, it was the people. I, I feared the people. It's like the people made me do it. In other words, he was shifting the blame from himself to other people. And in some sense, he's saying, it's not really my fault. We can do this, can't we? If you wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have done this. Like, the only reason I did this was because you treated me this way. And it's, it's not true. It's not truly confessing your sin. The truth is, the reason we act out in the flesh is because we choose to. Like, your response is your responsibility, right? Your response is your responsibility. And so let's be honest about that. There's the lies of exaggeration. You minimize something. Oh, that's, that's not something you probably really want to keep. I'll take that. I can take it for you. I can get rid of it. And you're like, yeah, I got a really good deal. Or you exaggerate something about yourself, you know, the story or this on your resume. So people think, wow, this person's amazing, but it's actually not true. Or you exaggerate the faults of someone else. You always do this. Always? Is that true? You never do this. Or how about the lie of breaking a promise? James 5, 12. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Condemnation for what? For breaking a promise? Yeah. Because when you break a promise, you're lying. Right? When you, when you say, I'm gonna, I'll be there at 6 o'clock, and you know it's probably not going to be like 6.15 or 6.30, you know. You're not telling the truth. And we need to view it that way. Or how about the last one here, lies of insinuation? Proverbs 6.19 says, A false witness breathes out lies and sows discord among the brethren. In the lies of insinuation, it's kind of like just dropping little ideas out there. Maybe not an outright accusation or, or maybe even a full presentation. Just a hint, just a suggestion. Do you think Mr. McGillicuddy has a good relationship with his wife? Well, I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm just asking him, what do you think? You know? Well, obviously, you're leading that person to believe that maybe that person doesn't have a good relationship with their wife. Do you think that Deacon really knows he keeps forgetting to do his job? Well, I'm not calling him lazy or anything. I'm just wondering, what do you think? You know? Well, you're leading someone to believe something that's not true. And really, those kind of insinuations lead to slander. And I really think that these are some of the some of the poisons that are found in many churches, many churches that have church splits and infighting really relate to this type of stuff that's happening right here. Proverbs 25, 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. When, when we lie or we allow other people to, to lie and allow that to spread amongst us. It's, uh, it's like allowing a madman to go around with a club and beat people on the head. We don't want that, do we? And neither do we want lies in the church. This is what Diotrephes was rebuked for in 3 John. Remember Diotrephes? He liked to put himself first. So therefore, he spread things that were untrue about the apostle John, about other leaders. And, and here's the warning that God gives to those who lie. And, and I'm assuming, I'm probably talking to someone in here and you know you have a problem with this. Here's the warning God gave to Diotrephes. Whoever does evil has not seen God. 
In other words, you can call yourself a believer, but if you are habitually lying, if you're a liar, you don't know the Lord. You don't know the truth. Revelation 21.8, and this should cause you to grip your seat in fear. Revelation 21.8, all liars have their portion in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Diotrephes example is a warning to liars, but also it's a warning to us that there are people who try to hurt the church and they do it through lies. So don't believe everything you hear is probably one of the best applications from that, but also protect the unity and love of the church with truthfulness. And then last, we need to speak the truth. Speak the truth. Notice verse 25 says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And speaking the truth here is a present tense, which means that truth must characterize what comes out of our mouths. And I think first that means that you speak the truth to yourself. That means what's going on in your brain, you make sure that you are meditating upon what is truth, what is true. And I think this is sometimes the root of the struggles we have is that we can so easily meditate upon a problem and assume things that are false about other people, and then it leads us into the black hole that we can almost never get out of. It goes like this. Why did that person not invite me over? Well, maybe they don't like me. Maybe they are offended or they're mad at me. Oh, they probably don't like me because of this. Well, they probably don't want to be my friend anymore. Well, I don't want to be their friend either. Well, how do you know that? Oh, that's true. Like you're assuming things. Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's a folly and shame to him. In other words, just because you think something is true, doesn't mean it's true. Just because you hear something is true, doesn't mean it's true. If you believe things like that, then you might be a fool. So we must guard our minds from presumption, but also be careful that we meditate upon truth. Really, meditation is speaking truth to yourself. That's what meditation is. It's speaking truth to yourself. It's not believing what I feel. It's believing God's word. It's believing what I know to be true, and it's allowing that truth to minister to me. So we speak the truth to ourselves, but also speaking the truth means we speak the truth to God. This is the scripture where it says, 1 John 1, 9, confess our sins, if we confess our sins. And what does it mean to confess? It means to speak the truth about yourself to God, that you don't try to mask or you don't try to hide your sin. You just are honest with the Lord about it. And then the Bible says, if we confess our sins in faith to Jesus Christ, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Speaking the truth means you speak the truth about yourself, about yourself to other people. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. That's speaking of a local church. Confess your sins to one another. And again, I don't think that means we, we are to dump the filth of our life on people in that way. But I think what it's saying is it's saying there should be a level of transparency and honesty you have with individuals within the local church. There's, keep it clean, that's right. Speak the truth means, I think also you are seeking to understand the truth before you Blab your mouth, if you want to say it that way, before you speak the truth. I think it's interesting as you study 
the Gospels, and if you've been reading through the Gospels, you've noticed this, Jesus asks a lot of questions. In fact, I, I read that someone said that Jesus asked 339 questions in the Gospels. Now, does that surprise you? I, I was thinking about it. It kind of surprises me because here's a guy who knows the truth, speaks the truth, is the truth. Why does he need to ask anybody a question? Well, I think he did it for a couple of reasons. One is an example to us. But questions are a great way for you to hear from people and to even lead them to the truth of the Scripture. And so I think speaking the truth means that we're also having this idea that we want to understand. We want to understand other people by asking them questions. We're not going to just presume we're going to understand. it. We want to even lead them to the truth. Sometimes questions are a great way to be able to do that, to have the discernment to know what to say, when to say. And then, and last of all, speaking the truth is speaking the truth about God. And the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that if anyone speaks, speak what? The oracles, the words of God. So when we minister to one another, when we comfort and we encourage, let's have God's words be the words that are coming out of our mouth, maybe words that we're reading to lift those up that need that. Then look at verse 25. In conclusion, look at verse 25. Notice he says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Now that's a quotation from Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16. There's a lot of news right now. If you watch the news or you read uh, newspapers about Jerusalem and Israel and what's taking place, Zechariah chapter 8 is about God's people in the millennial kingdom, particularly about Christ ruling from Jerusalem. And actually, let me show you this verse. This is from the Legacy Standard Bible. Zechariah 8.3 says, Thus says Yahweh, I will return, this is Jesus Christ, to Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of Yahweh of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Now, when you watch the news, if you do that very often, just remember that this is going to happen someday, okay? And someday Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one, Jesus who is the truth, will reign in truth. And therefore, Zechariah 8, 3, down through verse 16, talks about that. And verse 16 says this, These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. And that's where Paul got that verse from. And why did he pull out that verse for this? Because in a perfect world, under the authority of Jesus Christ, it's filled with truth. And if we're to be the church that God wants us to be, church that glorifies the Lord, church that ministers to one another, our church will be filled with truth. We'll be people who love the truth of God's word. We'll be people who are genuine. We're, we're real. And we speak what is true. So because you're a member of the body of Christ, you must put off line and speak the truth. And so let me end with this, I think, like I said, is the primary application I want you to go home with, and that is this, is that renew your mind to think in this way, you are a member of the body of Christ. That is God's role for you, and if you are truly going to minister to other people, 
you're going to allow people to minister to you, there has to be truth coming out of your mouth. And it's a little pet peeve, but maybe we should stop saying just the word good all the time. And I know I do it too, so I'm preaching to myself, how are you doing? Good. I don't even know what that means. You know, my kids say that all the time. Like, how was school? Good. How was soccer? Good. It's like, is everything good? Like, can we say something about our life that's real? Like, be able to communicate the truth about Christ, the truth about what's going on in your life. You're a member of the body of Christ. So let's put off lying. Let's speak the truth to one another. Let's pray.